Hey, Love Tribe, get excited for another great episode with Chase and our special guest. But before we start, I wanted to remind you about our amazing and free 14-day happy couple challenge. I don't know about you, but with the upcoming holidays, I'm feeling this hectic energy and I'm craving some grounding, fun, and meaningful connection with my partner. So whether you've been with your partner for many years and you're needing to mix things up or you're a newly coupled and you're looking to dive in to learn more about each other, the 14-Day Happy Couple Challenge is perfect for anyone wanting to deepen their relationship and have fun while doing it. So head on over to our website to sign up. You can start connecting deeper physically and emotionally today over at idopodcast.com slash 14 with our simple, easy, and doable daily challenges arriving straight into your inbox daily. This free 14-Day Challenge will help you break the old habits and build new engaging habits that will push you to create a deeper intimacy with your partner. Sign up today for free for the 14-Day Happy Couple Challenge to start strengthening and improving your relationship today. Head on over to idopodcast.com slash 14. That's idopodcast.com slash 14 to sign up for our free challenge today. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. I do podcast episode 22. Welcome to IDoPodcast.com, where fun and inspiring relationship experts, therapists, and couples share tips and advice that will help lead you to a fulfilling and happy relationship. Let their guidance illuminate your path to happiness. Are you ready to create lasting love? And now, your hosts, Chase and Sarah. Do you have a topic that you'd like to hear more about? or a relationship question you'd like answered? Email us at info at idopodcast.com and we'll be sure to add it to one of our upcoming episodes. We're excited to introduce our guest today, Reverend Lori Sue Brockway. Hi, Reverend Lori Sue. Hi. Hi, Sarah and Chase. How are you? Excellent. We're great. How are you today? Very good, thank you. It's a beautiful day. Reverend Lori Sue is a widely recognized expert on interfaith, intercultural, and highly personalized non-denominational weddings. She also specializes in helping couples and families manage wedding conflicts and reduce wedding stress. She is author of 13 books, and the New York Magazine lists her as one of New York's top interfaith officiants. A journalist for 20 years prior to her ordination, she began her career as an advice columnist for a local newspaper and has been called upon to share her insights on love, relationships, soulmates, and marriage ever since. We've given our listeners just a little overview, so take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Well, first of all, there's nothing more beautiful than being part of a wedding. It, you guys know you're planning mm-hmm. for your own big day in yes, October. Yes, we are. <laughs> yep. And uh, it's very exciting. We love weddings. People love weddings. Um, and what I've noticed after 15 years of doing this work 
is a lot of the focus goes into the wedding planning, not as much into the building of the marriage. So I'm really glad that in my wedding ministry, that part of my work can be to bring in the blessings and the elements and the aspects of marriage that each couple wants to build in their life. And it's different for every couple. So I love doing this work because it's a chance to, uh, to work in the space of love and also help people to, to build that in their relationship and, you know, to build on that foundation. As we know, love is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not the <laughs> only thing that gets us to the wedding altar. And it's not the only thing that holds a marriage together. So I think it's, uh, and in my work as an interfaith minister, I really appreciate that I can work with families and couples from all different backgrounds and all different religions and races and coming from different cultures and help them somehow find a way, whenever possible, to blend not only their own relationship, themselves and their relationship through their wedding ceremony, but blend their families together. Excellent. Well, our topic today, as we already kind of mentioned, is interfaith weddings. And Sarah and I can relate a lot to this because we are both raised of different faiths. And uh, so we're really looking forward to all the great information you're going to have. And some people might say, in regards to interfaith weddings, is why these people are getting married in the first place. And what is your response to that? Well, you yourselves will know as an interfaith couple that love does not always um, find its way to people who come from the same religious background or the same or the same country or the same culture or the same point of view. You know, I think what most people want, not everybody, but what I find that what most people want in life is to be loved and to have someone that they can love and express their love to. And uh, it used to be that it had to come in a certain package, that if you were Jewish, you had to find a nice Jewish girl. If you were Catholic, you had to find a nice Catholic boy. And the world just doesn't work like that anymore. We live in a global society. We live in a melting pot culture. We live in cities where people of all backgrounds and races and cultures and religions are gathered together. And sometimes you end up in a place where you see someone across the room and you recognize something in their soul and you connect on the level of the heart and on the level of being in the presence of another person. And, you know, what is your religion is not the first question you usually ask right. mm-hmm. in that situation, right? So right. people have a chance to begin to communicate to develop friendships, to get to know each other, to feel the sexual attraction, to respond to the sexual attraction. And if, if your primary focus is not, I have to find someone in my religious background to marry, then you might not even be thinking about that. You won't be thinking about it until you find somebody in a different, uh, who comes from a different religious background and your mother says, what? You're not yeah. getting married in a Catholic church? What? You're not marrying a Jew? You know, and then, then the conversation takes you, shakes you into a different reality. Doesn't mean that your parents' wishes or reality is the same as yours, but definitely that comes into play. Absolutely. And, and when you're planning a, a wedding ceremony, you've mentioned that it's good to highlight the parts of the experience shared by the greatest common denominator. What do you mean by that? 
Well, in the case of our cerebral, first, I'll just first say that it depends on the couple because some couples are, they do come to the union with more attachment to their religion. One may be more attached than the other. And so you have to honor where people are in their own uh, connection to their religious beliefs. And um, at the same time, when you bring people of different religions and cultures together, you really have to acknowledge the audience and the people who you have brought together to share your love um, and, and the day of your expression of your commitment. So the, the common denominator is to walk a little more of a middle ground and to add in, I think, in, especially in an interfaith union, to add in the elements that are really important to the two of you and maybe that honor your family in some way, but that are not going to make anyone run screaming from the room. So what I mean by that is, it can, you know, my couples come from so many different backgrounds, it manifests in a lot of ways. But say when, uh, say the bride is Wiccan, and um, in her personal life she's part of a coven, and maybe she, um, she gathers beneath the moonlight and does Wiccan rituals in her personal life. And maybe the groom is an atheist, and he's not at all uh, interested in any mention of God. The bride is interested in the mention of goddess, but there's, you know, an elderly Italian grandfather who's going to freak out if he hears the word goddess coming from anyone's lips. And, um, and the couple still is kind of downplaying their religious differences because that's for them personally to work out. Mm-hmm. So in their public forum of their wedding, they might want to just sort of bring in things that focus on their love story. Why did they fall in love? What made them come together? What do they love about each other? One of the things I love for couples to do is to tell me what they love about each other so that I can put it in the ceremony. And the other thing is to bring in readings that are more non-denominational than scriptural, although you can certainly have both. And uh, to bring in blessings that don't necessarily call forth a god or goddess from a particular religion. You might say something like, may this marriage be blessed in all ways. Or maybe we'll just sort of put something in there that says, may God bless this marriage in all ways. But we're not saying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're not saying in the name of the goddess Inanna may this marriage be blessed in all ways. You're, try, you're kind of just, it's something that everyone can relate to. And the other way to walk that, you know, common denominator is to bring in elements of a wedding. Like every wedding I do sounds like a wedding, even if it has a lot of different elements in it. And one of the nice ways to ground it is to to bring in uh, the I do's and the vows and the ring vows and the pronouncement in the ceremony that really people can relate to. You know, you ask the bride and groom a question. Do you, Sarah, take Chase to be your husband, to have and to hold from this day forward in good times, in bad times, in sickness and in health, to love, honor, and treasure for all the days of your lives? And then there's an I do. And everybody can relate to that language. And you exchange rings, and that's something that people can relate to. The ring is a symbol of love and affection and devotion that has been part of many cultures for many years. Well, that's, I mean, for us, that's, I think that's great advice because we're in the process of planning our ceremony and all these little 
little tips make us think about what we want and really help us plan out our ceremony. So I think that's it's great advice. Good. I'm glad it's helpful to you. And I do. I also have a book called Your Interfaith Wedding, which is basically everything I know about putting interfaith weddings together. And um, there's a lot of there are a lot of different stories about different couples in there, and there are even a bunch of uh, uh, sample ceremonies. You're welcome to to borrow from any of that. Uh, I think you might find some useful stuff in there. We'll need to read that one. <laughs> You've also, in, in an article that we read of yours, you go over a couple different options or a couple different tips for blessing, honoring the family, unity candles, readings. And I know you've touched a little bit on that already about uh, the common denominator and, and how to respect your, your family and doing different things. Yeah. Can, you, can you go over a little bit more about maybe specifics in a ceremony and a little bit more detail about those different options? Sure, sure. Well, every ceremony, from my point of view, should begin with a blessing, whether it has a religious connotation to it or not. So you just begin and end with blessings that evoke a sense of spirit. They don't even have to mention God or goddess. And some people get scared by the word prayer. I think a prayer is just an invocation of a blessing, and it can be whatever you choose it to be. There are many options for it. Use the language of love. I love to say when I start a ceremony, may we all be surrounded by a circle of love, and may all those who come here to witness this ceremony be uplifted by the, by the love, the light of love that radiates at this wedding altar. So we're creating a context for the reason we're here is that love gathers us. And the one thing that really is a common denominator in all faiths and languages and, and in all cultures is Love. Everybody can relate to that. And the love that's radiated by the couple is one of the most powerful. I always say if I could harness it, I would be rich. Because <laughs> it's so powerful. Uh, hand wrapping is, or hand blessing, actually, as a non-denominational approach, is to say that, you know, it's believed that the, the, the second finger on the left arm runs up to the heart through arteries and veins and that's where we put why we placed our wedding rings there so to have a couple stand in that space of love and to look each other in the eyes and to feel the gift that they really are to one another and to do a blessing over their hands is a really beautiful and non-denominational experience that is very touching to the couple and to the families so that's why the the wedding ring goes on that finger. It goes on the it goes on the left hand. In our culture, it goes on the left hand on the second finger from the pinky. In other cultures, in in the UK and in Greece, it goes on the other hand. But we have this whole thing in this country that it leads, and it actually started in the UK. But it's something that we've adapted. Um, it's believed that when you put your hands together. You're putting your hearts together because symbolically the arteries that go to your heart begin in your hands. And by placing the ring on that finger, you're placing the ring on each other's hearts. And um, you are making that commitment to love each other forever in that way. And Shakespeare said, now join your hands and with your hands, your hearts. So... It really is the symbolism of connecting through the hands. And there's a very cool way of doing it. 
if you, you guys can practice this at home, but literally, if you put your left palms together facing each other and your right palms, then your hands become crossed as you're standing across from each other, and it literally creates an infinity symbol. And that, that means a love that will go on forever. So there's so many different ways that we can bring in symbolism into the wedding ceremony that will bless the marriage. And it is an experience for everyone to be part of the wedding ceremony, and it is an experience for the bride and groom or the couple, whether it's a bride and bride or groom and groom, to stand there together in the space of this love. It's like a love bubble. Mm -hmm. And express their devotion to each other. But it is a communal experience when you have a wedding where other people come as guests. And I feel that the, the love that radiates from the couple and the love that radiates from the people in the room is so powerful that that is the first step to moving the ceremony forward. But it's really creating this foundation for your, for your married life. So you want to make sure that the language in the ceremony and the actions, the rituals, really reflect what's important to the two of you. Because you're building the home in your hearts, or you're enhancing that home with your ceremony. I love the specific examples you're able to give, and I even learned a couple new things. <laughs> One of the things we touched on a little bit, but in the ceremony, is honoring family. And can you give some specific examples of ways we can do that? Yes. Uh, there's a number of rituals you can do. For example, in the beginning of the ceremony, I like to do this when couples have mothers that come from different religions and we want to blend the families together. It's really a nice touch when the couple goes up to the altar that they give their mothers flowers. And the flowers that they use for unity are red and white uh, roses. And if the... Uh, if, w if one partner gives the flower to the flowers to the mother-in-law and the other partner gives it to her or his mother-in-law, then you are kind of really bringing each other into one another's families. That's one way to do it. You can also have families be part of candle lighting. So in the Catholic Church or the Christian Church, the mothers would come up and light the, if you have a unity candle, they would light the tapers on either end of the unity candle and then they would pass the light to their children, and then the bride and the groom or the couple would light their unity candle together, bringing those candles, kissing close, and then they light the central candle. But the idea is that the, the parents or the mothers come and they represent the families and the ancestors and the, the background of the couple so that they're bringing that to the wedding altar. And the, the lighting of the flame also represents the blending of the two families together. And obviously there's sometimes more than two families. There's step-parents to think of sometimes and step-siblings. So uh, another way we sometimes do it is with a sand ceremony so that everybody has a different colored sand, like your, you know, your mm -hmm. parents. Um, Sarah, your parents would have a color. Chase, your parents. If you had step-parents, they would get their own color. If you had... Um, relatives, uh, like siblings, they would get a color. And then if you had children already, they would get their own color. And everybody pours as part of a big, it's like a big mix of yeah. beautiful colored sand. But to do it just in language would be to just say that nobody comes to this place in their lives without the love and the support of the people who raise us and teach us what is most important in life. 
And really, that the lineage of love that we see at a wedding ceremony has been passed along for generations. And were it not for the love passed along to the couple, then they would not have been able to come to this place in their lives where they were, you know, really ready to embrace a powerful love. And even if there are divorces in the family or there's step-parents that we don't get along with or there's weird stuff between mom and dad, you know, there's all sorts of family situations that could be happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You still can acknowledge the parents. Sometimes I call them out by name and sometimes I just look over to them at wherever they're sitting, usually in the front rows. And I just say, you know, the couple would like to thank their parents and maybe they'd also like to thank their close family members and their extended family members because all of them and all of you have really touched this couple in some way and have brought forth love, and they are really a shining example of that love. And, um, you know, there's also a little prayer to say that the family, this family is united on this day and that every new union expands the family in a beautiful way. And there's, there are other, you know, there are various readings um, that you can choose that kind of or that your officiant can write or that you guys can write that really highlight the point. Like I've had couples actually do tributes to loved ones. Um, That's nice. One, one couple did, I remember once we did this thing where the bride and groom wrote the qualities they loved most in their families and how they wanted to bring that into their own relationship. And certainly when we have a situation, this is not always the case, but sometimes we have a situation where there are parents who've been married for 40 years or 30 years or two sets of parents who just, you know, celebrated a huge anniversary and will really acknowledge how, um, if the couple feels this way, that these parents have set the example of what it's like to stay in a committed relationship. Or maybe there's a grandparent, there's a set of grandparents who've set that example. Mm -hmm. I find that a lot of couples really love to bring in their families. And if we're not bringing in religious aspects or we're very, we're we're downplaying the religious aspects, then that's a great way to, to blend people together without making anyone feel uncomfortable about a religious prayer or ritual. Yeah, so many great little pieces of advice there, and there's so many parts that go into a ceremony with the readings and the symbolism and honoring the family. But what I really like is the idea, especially with the interfaith um, ceremony that you talk about, is just focusing on the love between the couple and the love that's in the family. And then really that that's why we're all there, and, and that's what matters most. I think that's a beautiful point, and I'm I'm glad that you you guys feel like that, and that you're going to do something like that in your own ceremony because, really, that's why we're there. Yeah. And you have found each other, and you have fallen in love, and you thought about it, and you dreamed about it, and then at some point you decided you're going to get married, and you're going to really build your lives together. And I think sometimes there's there's often a beautiful story that comes along with that, like how you fell in love, what made you fall in love with each other. Was there one incident that happened 
where you really knew this is my beloved, this is my beshert, this is my soulmate. Um, mm-hmm. Was there an engagement story? I mean, I have told so many hundreds of <laughs> engagement stories about really unusual things that people have done. I don't think that's, you know, the only story to tell, but some of it's really fascinating, like a guy who... You know, the two of them were scuba driver divers, and he brought the ring in tied to a little um, jewel box that Aww. he brought down into <laughs> the sea for her to open Aww, up. That's sweet. And they had a photographer there, and then the other guy who worked with um, the bride's parents to get this, this family jewel and turn it from. It had been a ring, and then it was a necklace, and they turned it back into an engagement ring. I mean, there's all these stories of sneaking diamonds into, you know, onto islands and (laughs) having mariachi bands there and, you know, uh, dinners um, by the ocean and writing, will you marry me in the sand and taking someone in a helicopter. (laughs) (laughs) Those things you can focus on. Yeah, there's a lot of stories. yeah, I didn't propose underwater, but it was in in front of uh, like a hundred of our friends and family. So that was a good wow. one. Wow, <laughs> how did you do it? What did you do? I don't think we've told the the story. Well, there's a video of it. We'll we'll, we'll it's on YouTube. We can put the link on our uh, on our website. But it, it was at an event that we put on, and uh, it was after the award ceremony. And it was, I I decided like three days before that I was going to do it then because there's no no better time than than now I guess and and uh, so friends and family were there anyways so it was really perfect so after the award ceremony I said I had one more uh, special award to give and uh, yeah we could sh- we'll we'll send you the link of the video but it, <laughs> no, yeah it was pretty cool it. it worked out great I was really surprised yes. <laughs> Very. You beautiful. You should you should put that in your you know keep that in your wedding ceremony. Absolutely. We yeah. Will. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> well, we're actually oh, yeah. our ceremony is across the street from where he proposed, so it's <laughs> like we're right there too. <laughs> oh, that's so perfect. And you can talk about how meaningful it is and how symbolic it is that you are getting onto this next stage of your lives and walking into your future together in the place where this really began for you. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, what's one common reason couples struggle in an interfaith ceremony? Well, there are a number of different reasons, but it usually has to do with a parent who doesn't agree with what they're doing. And I'm going to include this to also embrace interracial relationships and intercultural in some parts, because you might have two Catholics uh, who are deciding to get married, but one of them comes from Mexico and one family doesn't think that's a great idea. Um, mm-hmm. Or one of them comes from Africa and the family doesn't think it's a great idea or is an African-American. Um, so there are these kind, of, these kind of struggles that have to do with very deeply held religious beliefs, cultural beliefs, and prejudice that families have. And this is stuff that gets passed along from generation to generation to generation through cultures and You know, the reason it really is sometimes rattling to the couple or one partner in the couple is that they also have been exposed to those prejudices and beliefs all their lives. So there's a part of them that can be triggered and be caused to doubt the person they've chosen um, because of a parent who really 
is against it. And sadly, I've seen this a few times in my ministry, and it's always extremely painful and very hard to deal with. But I do believe in the space of love that eventually, if your parents really love you, even if they don't agree with the person you're marrying, that eventually they do come around. Not all the time. I've had parents not come to a wedding because they don't agree with who their partner is marrying. Most of the time, people are very, very civil. And they just have initial upsets. Like when a bride, a Catholic bride, tells her mother, we're not getting married in a church, there's, you know, an initial shock that will rattle (laughs) the bride or groom and that will make them want to appease the mother who's upset. And they'll go through all sorts of um, thoughts and decisions, and maybe we should just do a Catholic um, ceremony, but do it in a park. And then you find out by the time you get to the wedding day, the mother's adjusted to it. And uh, But then you have the other situation you have to be real about, which is if you're not married in a Catholic church, then it's not considered a Catholic sacrament. And if you want to raise your children Catholic and you want them to be baptized, then at some point you might have to renew your your ceremony in a Catholic church and be brought up to date on all your sacraments, if that's something that you're going to be doing. Now, a lot of brides and grooms are not thinking of doing that, but I can tell you there are a lot of mothers who, when the babies come, are going to be on the case with the christening. Mm -hmm. And it's just something to be aware of, and you should always talk to your local parish priest about you know, the Catholic Church has a certain protocol, but some priests are a little more open than others, um, and um, you should just kind of see what the reality is, if that's a concern. Um, sometimes, you know, like I've, I've seen weddings where the bride was a Hindu bride and a Hindu groom who looked like exactly the same, like they were from the exact same culture, but she was a Brahmin, and he was a caste lower than she was. And mm. the father of the bride stood in the corner with his family, crying and sobbing for the first hour before the ceremony Jeez. began. Gosh, wow. and, um, and, and then participated in the rituals. So um, just, you know, really like he was in great pain, and it was just horrible. And, of course, by the time they had their first child, Nobody was closer to the family than the father, and the grandmother put up the big stink. But, you know, it happens sometimes. So um, those are some of the things that are really intense that happen. Um, I had a, a bride, a beautiful bride and groom. She was marrying this guy who was the, one of the most amazing men I had ever met. But he happened to be African-American, and her father totally refused to come to her wedding. And... You know, we worked on it, but it came to a point where she felt he was going to ruin it anyway if he was there. But they asked me back to bless their twins two years later. There was the grandfather holding the babies. So he got over it. Yeah, he got over it. Um, But they don't always get over it. And one of the things you have to know if you come from a very religious family, like really a religious family where religion is part of their everyday life and God is important to them, then, you know, it's important to know that they may not get over it and you may not be able to fix everything. And you may have certain feelings that you have to deal with 
as part of, you know, the the dragons that you have to slay. Like any relationship has to slay a few dragons. You have some extra ones sometimes in interfaith yeah. marriages. Yeah. But you have to just be aware of what's important to you. Like I always tell my couples that when they're thinking about raising children and they're thinking about blending their faiths, think about what you loved in your growing up. What did you love? Christmas time, the um, a Christmas tree, midnight mass. What did you love about Judaism? Uh, Passover, the high holidays, um, Hanukkah. So Hanukkah. How can, Hanukkah, <laughs> Hanukkah and Christmas. Yeah. How can you bring those traditions together? And very important, with one partner not being Catholic, how are they going to feel seeing a big lit up Christmas tree in their house? and going to a church where the, Jesus is on a crucifix, and how is the other partner going to deal with, um, how, how will they feel about Hebrew chanting and dreidels and um, Passover seders that go on for five hours, um, <laughs> and uh, the kind of, you know, the things that are not part of your culture. Mm-hmm. So that's why in your engagement it's important to introduce those things to each other. Uh, but you really have to know if you can tolerate them. Not everybody can. Yeah. Oh, that's great information. And now we're going into the his and her round where Sarah and I each ask a question that's on our minds. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. All right. Well, I'll go first. And uh, this kind of addresses the struggle of, of with family. But what's a, what's a good way to address the family and the decision that you may have for your ceremony that they may not agree with? I am a big believer whenever possible, if there's a conflict, to, um, to bring everyone together with a therapist or with a, with a counselor or spiritual counselor who can really address all their issues. Because usually when there's an issue, it's because somebody's scared of something. So it's important to identify that. Maybe they're afraid of how it's going to look their, to their guests. Maybe they're afraid about how they're going to feel about it, if it's going to be um, upsetting to them based on the way they were raised. I have found personally that that as an officiant and a spiritual counselor, that if I, I'll tell the couple to set up a dinner with their families, and I don't stay for the dinner, but I'll come in the beginning and I will answer all their questions and I will address all their concerns. And usually by the end of that, then uh, we've really, I've come to understand, I'll first ask a lot of questions to figure out what's really worrying them. And usually they're worried about what their place is and how their religion is going to be presented. Uh, And I'll try to really make them feel comfortable. And another way is, you know, you can let them see the ceremony beforehand to see that it's balanced with both traditions. if there are really deep problems, I would say see a marriage and family therapist a couple of times, find somebody who can work with the whole family, bring everyone into the room and talk about what the issues are and um, be supportive of one another. Another approach is to not deal with their issues and to just make your decisions and keep telling them that you love them, but that this is your day and you want to do it your way, and that you won't do anything that's going to embarrass them. Um, But you want to, you know, you're going to do something that celebrates both your traditions and your families, 
but you really need uh, to be doing this on your own without their input. Or you can open it to their input. The other way to deal with some of these issues is to give them something to do. Like a lot of times if I have a very religious parent or two, I'll say to the couple, let them do a reading, let them do a blessing, let them do something that they feel blesses you in the way that is uh, more akin to their tradition so that they feel that you're getting married properly according to their beliefs. That's great advice. That helps a little. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. And my question is kind of along those same lines. So if you've exhausted all your resources and then a parent or loved one that's really special to you just refuses to participate and doesn't even show up or maybe he's crying for an hour like like the one dad how do you how do you deal with that I personally I, I think that's got to be so hard it's hard it's very hard um it's really hard i mean we want our parents approval but um it really you know one of the things i have learned over time i really wanted to be able to fix every interface problem there is but i've discovered over time that you can't always fix everything in time for the wedding. Um, I still believe that, for the most part, families come around. But at the same time, I think that uh, you know people become extremely self-centered and narcissistic when it comes to planning a wedding. They really become like almost children, like in a sandbox, who um, are fighting for the shovel or the pail mm-hmm. um, to have it their way, and. We can't address everybody's emotional and psychological needs related to your wedding. There's so many different facets of this that it's hard to make a generalization, but part of the decision to marry somebody who is not of the same faith in a context where maybe there is somebody who's not happy about it is to accept that maybe that person is not meant to be at your wedding. And, um, or... Uh, you know, I mean, if they're that opposed to it, then um, I, you know, I had a, I'll give you just a quick example. There was this beautiful couple. He was a um, Caucasian male, and she was literally a beautiful woman from Africa who was a doctor. And his mother was Jewish mother and Christian family from Africa dressed in traditional African garb. And um, the groom's mother was so intolerant that she, at the last minute, when we were getting ready to do the ceremony, refused to participate in any of the rituals. And um, I thought to myself, I would have really liked to have more time with this family beforehand to try to smooth this over. But this thing in her goes so deep that there's nothing really that we can do. I mean, you know, she really kind of almost ruined the ceremony. And um, I felt really bad about that. I felt bad for the couple that they had to deal with that. And I felt bad for her, too, because it was her belief, and she was upset, and she didn't believe that her her Jewish boy should be marrying, an, an, you know, a, a woman from Africa. Mm-hmm. And um, it didn't even matter that she was a doctor. You know, it just it just didn't work for her. And sometimes that's just the way it is. And... I wouldn't even try to accuse anybody like that of being mean or small-minded, even though obviously there's some of that there. That, those are her beliefs, and we have to honor everybody's beliefs. An interfaith marriage 
is not about changing anyone's belief, and it's not even about changing anyone's religion. It's about blending. It's about accepting people where they are, where they're coming from, and some people are not going to be able to joyously celebrate, and we have to accept that that's the case. And it could be the case with any couple from the same faith who are getting married anywhere. There's always something with a wedding. Um, But I think the big lesson is we can't fix everything before the wedding. Hopefully the family can make peace over time, but it doesn't always happen. The wedding brings up the darkest sides of us and the most challenging issues. Well, now it's time for our favorite part of the interview, the lasting love round. We'll ask you a series of questions and you'll respond with great information to help set the foundation for a lasting relationship. We love it. Our listeners love it. So, Reverend Lori Sue, are you ready to help us build lasting love? I'm ready. All right. Well, what's one thing couples can do on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? They should, if they have their wedding vows written, um, they should read them to each other every night before they go to bed, looking into each other's eyes and holding hands. And if they have not uh, yet done their wedding vows, they should have some sort of pre-wedding vow that they speak to each other, some special words, like a mantra even, that they share, um, maybe even putting their hands on each other's hearts and looking to each other's eyes and sharing some form of verbal communication. Is there a book or resource you can recommend for interfaith couples? You know, there's a couple that I really like, and they're not just for interfaith couples, but I think they are really appropriate for anyone. The first one is The Heart-Centered Marriage by Sue Patton Soul. It's T-H-O-E-L-E. It's like a user's guide to the heart and soul. It's a great book. Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks, and basically anything by Harville Hendricks is very helpful because it really his work goes deeper into the family dynamics and our backgrounds and the way we're raised and the way we choose our mates. And the other one is Perfect Love in Perfect Relationship by John Wellwood, also an excellent book about how you know, we have a dream for the perfect relationship, which doesn't really exist anywhere, but we can create the perfect love. And I think that his book is really good. Well, thank you for those books. They'll all be listed on your show notes page on our website at idopodcast.com. Our listeners can go there and find those great resources. Awesome. Thank you. We're getting married this year. Is there any advice you would give to engaged couples or newlyweds? I think that it's important to focus on the marriage you are creating, not just the wedding that you're planning. And uh, that means that as much as this is exciting and exhilarating and crazy (laughs) planning a wedding, that you have to stay connected to each other. And one of the ways to do that is to just continue to do reality checks with each other. And again, look at each other, put your hands on each other's hearts or hold hands, stay in that space of love with each other. Anytime you get stressed out, stay focused on the love because that is what is going to get you through. And also really support each other and be on each other's sides because sometimes families can sway us in one direction or another and it really um, creates a crack in the relationship. So you have to really try to stay on the same page with each other and defend each other in difficult situations. 
If you could just give one single piece of advice for a successful relationship, what would it be? You know I don't have one single piece. (laughs) (laughs) But here are a couple. Respect each other. Always respect each other and respect where you are in your own personal journeys. Continue to deepen your intimacy however you can do that. It's very important. It's an important foundation. It's a way you stay connected to each other and to each other's energy. And become communication experts on each other. Learn each other's language and truly study each other and learn to understand each other because, you know, sometimes we have different languages that we express ourselves with. If you become an expert on your partners, on your beloved's language, then you can really learn to to communicate in a very authentic way. Well, I think that's great. Becoming a communication expert of your of your partner. That's that's awesome advice. Great. Well, we've really enjoyed hearing all the advice you've given us and our listeners today. So let's finish by telling our listeners where they can find you and then we'll say goodbye. Awesome. There's a couple of ways people can find me and I hope they will. Um, I have a website, uh, yourinterfaithwedding.com. Another website, weddinggoddess.com. And I am a columnist for the Huffington Post. You can look me up under Reverend Lori Sue Brockway, and I try to share some of my advice on a weekly basis there. And you can also find me on Facebook on my fan page, which is Reverend Lori Sue Brockway on Facebook. And um, I'm happy to answer questions and, uh, and hear from your listeners. Perfect. Well, our listeners can find all the information and links of today's episode on idopodcast.com. Go to the podcast tab and you'll be in the archives. And thank you so much for all your generous knowledge and for taking the time to come on our show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I wish you both the best of luck and blessings, all the blessings in the world on your marriage. Are you interested in learning five ways to improve your relationship on a daily basis? How about five tips for engaged couples or newlyweds? This information and more is our free gift to you when you go to idopodcast.com and subscribe to our mailing list. Thank you so much for joining us today on I Do Podcast. Head on over to idopodcast.com for full recaps of every show, relationship resources, tips, and advice. Your path to a successful and lasting relationship awaits you. Are you ready to create lasting love? You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.